You are listening to Within Tolerance, a podcast for machinists by machinists. I'm your host, Dylan Jackson of Protean Machining, and this week I am happy to welcome Riley Gilman. Welcome, Riley. How's it going? It's going great. So for anybody who doesn't know who you are and what you do, what are all the details? Well, that's a bit of an interesting one. So I'm Riley Gilman, and I am the technical operations manager for Nikola Motor Company. And you kind of can't find me anywhere because I don't like to be found sometimes. Uh, Fair enough. I am am on Instagram, so you can find me at Riley Gilman and then my LinkedIn and my Facebook and stuff like that. Perfect. If you want to be my friend, don't be afraid. I'll still accept your request. I just (sighs) don't accept requests from all the uh, strange people out there. There you go. Well, let's get into what does a technical operations manager do then? The Tom. So I kind of, I am in charge of all the R&D and all of the different styles of manufacturing, whether it's subtractive or additive for developing the fuel cell semi-trucks and the battery electric semi-trucks. So if an engineer has an idea or if we have a problem to solve, we will jump into high gear and we'll do that. That's awesome. That sounds like a ton of fun. It, it really is. It is a blast and a challenge every day. Um, <laughs> the workload is very interesting. It's very up and down as projects, you know, advance or, or regress or they move on to the next stage of, you know, whether it's pre-production or, you know, alphas or beta, betas or into gammas. And then you've got, you know, production. And so once production actually starts, that's kind of out of our wheelhouse. We don't really deal with the production side of things only in emergency short-term interim things. So, you know, we'll get a request, what we call from a a customer, but obviously they're all internal people, but we'll get a request and then we'll uh, manufacture, you know, five to a thousand components and then, you know, send it out the door and then it gives them the purchasing department enough time to find the supplier qualify their process and make sure that they can meet the deliverable schedule and things like that. How cool. So you mentioned, do you have additive and subtractive? Yes. What kind of machinery are we talking about? You know, what do you have at your disposal? Kind of the whole gambit. And it's, it's really fun because a lot of the equipment that we do have is things that you wouldn't normally see in an R and D shop. You know, R and D shops are smaller machines that, you know, maybe, you know, start with uh, an H or, you know, just other like equipment. And we have everything but that. So everything is five axis. So we're very heavy into the five axis world. So we've got starting off with the smallest to biggest, which is, this is fun. All right. So I've got a DMG Mori DMU, yeah, DMU 85. So that's, that's an 850 millimeter platter, five axis machine. And that's your smallest? That's the smallest. (laughs) Um, Okay. Yep, it's very big. And then we go up to the medium machine, which is DMG Mori 125 FD. So that's a very large machine. Oh, yeah. Which has a really cool kinematic on it. It's trying to wrap your head around programming is insane. And then moving up to the big boy, we've got a Zimmerman FZ37, which is a six and a half meter machine. Right. It's a, Six, it's a room. Yeah, like. it's a room. I mean, <laughs> it's we just put a roof on it and the cost of the roof is the cost of a very well built out VF4. Oh, my goodness. Uh, yeah. You're like, uh, this is insane. So it's very big. I mean, you open up the doors and how we built the machine into the building, it's it's flush with the ground. 
So there's no like you don't have to step up or anything. You just can drive a forklift into the machine. So 22 feet by 12 feet by eight and a half feet. So it's, it's huge. It's got two chip augers along the sides. So when we're cleaning chips off, we use a shovel. That's insane. Yeah. And I assume that's HSK 100 then? No, it's actually HSK 63. No way. Yeah, it's a 25,000 RPM spindle. Okay, that, that makes a little more sense, but so, I'm still surprised with something that big. It is. They So Zimmerman makes it in multiple different configurations with what they just their milling head they've got like seven milling heads i believe and they range from like very delicate high high rpm like thirty thousand rpm spindles to like their heavy duty seven axis head that i mean is an hsk 100 and they're doing mass material removal so that's pretty cool um we don't have that we just have this hsk 63 I bet it's still a monster, though. It is, but it's delicate. It's, you know, people walk up to it and especially machining people and they go, oh, man, you could get aggressive with some stuff. And you're like, yeah, but the problem is, is you got to think about it. The Z column is dangling from the sidewalls of eight and a half feet. And so you have this giant pivot point, then it likes to pick up harmonics. And so you could have a whole bunch of harmonics. And you're like, well, I'm not taking that big of a cut. You know, I'm pushing a, you know, so we operate mostly in millimeters. So you're like, oh, I'm pushing a 50 millimeter, you know, face mill. And it's it's creating a vibration that you can hear in the machine. And you can also see it on the vibration meter on the, the control. So it's it's a very unique machine. So with an eight foot Z, mm-hmm. what kind of risers are you using? I mean, you, you think of like a normal five axis and you're like, well, I need to get up closer to the spindle to get it more rigid. Yeah. I've got an eight inch riser, a six yeah. inch mm-hmm. riser, but you've got eight feet. So what <laughs> does this look like? So currently right now we're working on the ground. Oh boy. So I've got a FCS system like base gauge and we're doing some big work right now and it's just on the ground because we didn't have time to because the parts one are really big and so they don't fit on our current we also have a fcs like they call it the base gauge and it's like a giant horizontal tombstone i mean it's 1500 millimeter by it's like either 1500 or 2000 millimeter by 500 (laughs) millimeter and it's laying on its side but you can also stand it vertically and use the two you know opposite sides for mounting fixtures that way so you can almost use it as horizontal um, that's insane you have a, a 40 20 machine mm-hmm. as a as a fixture piece like yeah, exactly <laughs> it, and it's it's bizarre because like the parts we're currently working on right now they're very big but they're not heavy and so you could mount them on a horizontal surface but we're doing three and four parts at a time and so the same setup but it's just a lot of parts and so you just hit go and you just let it run for a while and you don't really have to worry about it and it's not like you're going to stop because you got to worry about chips because it's got so much volume that you can just throw chips wherever you want <laughs> so yeah that's crazy so you also mentioned additive so what yes. do you have at your disposal there so well to finish off our removal we've got a Haas ST25Y that is there you know it's it's a lathe. I mean, it right. It does Makes what we stuff. need it to do. It does have live tooling and all the things like that. And we've we've gotten pretty frisky with some material removal on that. And it was fun. You know, it was it gave us something to do. 
but you know, we make like almost aerospace style of connectors now where like in a true aerospace shop, you would have these really nice, like aluminum, you know, fit aerospace connectors and you're going to put on all your custom pins and stuff like that. We do some not work like that, but kind of, you know, smaller dainty things, but then also like when they go to, you know, the purchasing team comes in and says, Hey, we need you to make some parts. We're like, Oh, okay. What do you need? I need a bushing. Cool. All right. Well, let's just make a thousand bushings and it'll be done in a couple hours. That's fine. (laughs) So we do some fun stuff, but then we also do like really boring things on that. And then we also do, we have a five axis CMM. So we've got a hexagon. um, I think it's a nine, 12, eight, Okay. Uh, five axis a hexagon cmm like a global yeah it's a global global s it's either a chrome or a blue okay I don't, I don't remember i think it's blue so yeah that's a really great piece of equipment to have as well that we've put very big parts on uh you know when they come to you and say hey we need you to inspect this part you're like huh it's a good thing i have a 20 ton crane overhead because i can't put that part on with a forklift right so yeah. you know there's there's really it's interesting and then so that kind of rounds on our subtractive manufacturing, but then our additive is we've kind of got a range of 3D printers. So we've got large all the way to very small and very accurate. So we have a Big Rep Pro, which is a one meter volume 3D printer it with a one millimeter nozzle. So it extrudes a lot of material pretty quickly. Oh my God. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so, but it's, it's not as, the surface resolution is not what, people expect it to be because they are so used to having a you know an ender or whatever with a 0.4 nozzle and producing very high resolution prints like oh well we want that well that would take you two months to print something so we're going to print it with one mil nozzle and print it much much faster but it's not going to have the surface finish that you want so it's interesting people like it and they kind of shy away from it sometimes i could see it being useful for like a seat prototype though or something like that so we've done like the whole front end of our truck i 3d printed the entire front end one time you know and it was a massive project it it ran so we bought the machine during covid got it on the floor no one was allowed to travel or anything like that it was like in the heat of it right and so they were like yeah we're not coming out to set it up but you have an iphone let's do this and i'm like are you serious you want me to set this up over facetime and they're like, yeah, wow. let's do it. And so I was on the phone with the guys forever. And it was, I mean, it was fine. Like I've set up machines before. I've moved equipment, all the equipment in the shop. I was the guy in charge of moving everything in. So I worked with the riggers and we're loading, you know, 80,000 pound machines. And we're putting them on half inch locators, right? So I wasn't like shied away from like, oh, okay, whatever. It's it's a 3D printer. There's not much to do. But we put it on the floor and had to go through and take all the rigging straps off and and level the machine, the build plate, get the gantry set up the way it needed to be, and then do software updates and this and that. And so it was that was an interesting one all over FaceTime. Jeez. Yeah. I'm glad it went well, but it did. Yeah, that could have been disastrous. Yeah. So we we got that machine installed. The day that it installed, I was like, well, I have a project. They're like, well, let's print like a vase or let's print, you know, this goofy thing. And I'm like, how about no, we're just going to go straight into printing parts that I need because I need them. That's why we bought this machine. They're like, <laughs> well, how long is they going to run for? And the, it was almost a volume print. It was like 17 days. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, let's do it. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it's like, uh, I want to say it was 
two or three 8,000 kilogram spools. Yeah. That's and, insane. But what kind I mean, of material are you printing with that? So Big Rep uses, obviously, all these guys use all their own, you know, branded material. So this was their, I think I printed it in, they call Pro HT, which is like a modified PLA with a fiber element to it. So that's kind of the the synopsis of that material oh man yeah. yeah so you're just stressed the whole time like is oh, it yeah. gonna come off the build plate is it gonna warp is it oh Oof. yeah well and i'm not you know i'm i'm used to very very large prints so we used to own when the when the company first started and they they bought a uh a bam a cincinnati bam you ever heard of one of those no i have not big area additive machine it was 12 feet by no this one was bigger it was 24 feet by eight feet by six feet of 3D print volume. <laughs> yeah. So that's insane. It was a big, big machine, but it has a very unique purpose. And so we had that machine under kind of the dismay of me. I was like, no, don't buy it. Don't buy it. Bad idea. I've had a lot of experience with it. Don't buy it. Sure enough, I show up and it's there. So that was kind of, you know, whatever. I, I just looked it up. It is like a paint booth like mm-hmm. it's Huge. massive holy cow are you looking at the bam or you oh yeah you're, you're yeah yeah it's huge that's insane i mean it's like a, a 30 to forty thousand pound 3d printer uh-huh that's yeah, yeah mind-blowing and they make them bigger yeah they make them much bigger in fact uh, when i was doing some contract work for oak ridge national lab they had one and it was big enough that you walk underneath it it yeah. was on like six foot stilts. That's the one I'm looking at right it's now. Yeah. Huge. Well, and it uses pellets too, which is bizarre. Yes. And it will, so it extrudes a, uh, oh, I forget the, it was a Sabic material. Um, I forget the brand or like the actual product name, but it was carbon fiber ABS. So our like token thing was it's uh, 80% Lego and 20% carbon fiber. So it was this 80 <laughs> 20 blend and you would have to load the, the, it would vacuum operated operated very similar to a injection mold machine. So it'd vacuum the pellets into a hopper. The hopper would then dry the pellets. And then as the machine called for, it would vacuum them over the head and then it would extrude it. So extrusion rates were anywhere from like 50 to 400 pounds an hour. Whoa. Yeah. Whoa. It was a lot. That is fast. Yeah. So we sold that machine because we don't have use for it at Nikola. <laughs> So that was good. So, but then we've got like a Stratasys Object 500. So that does like really high um, resolution resin prints, which is pretty cool. It does, and it does the color spectrum, which is very unique. Um, So it does four different model materials on a support material. And depending on, you get these like little like triangle, like color codes, and you have your primary colors in the corners. And then if it's in that color spectrum, of all these different little hues, that's the color you can print. So you'd actually go to the printer and you say, oh, I want this surface in this color code. And then you could print that way. It was really cool. Um, So we've got that machine and then we've got a slew of, you know, I've got a Ender S5 one or S1 Pro. And then we've got resin printers, which I'm like super into right now. Those are really cool. So the frozen transforms and the Eliglu Saturns and Mars and 
I'm looking at, you know, buying more for the house and it's like, oh, this is cool. But then it smells a ton and I don't really want to yeah. deal with that. And, you know, that's always the pain is, is the cleanup, like yeah. cleaning the prints and drying yeah. them. And yeah, for sure. So. Even with like Forum Labs's wash and cure stations, yeah. it's still kind of a pain. Yeah. So yeah, it, it it is what it is, unfortunately. But you get such high definition prints off of them that yes. it's so cool. Well, and we've gotten into using. Uh, there's a product by Frozen. It's called the. Uh, it's like 410 Pro or Onyx Onyx 410, and it's awesome. It's an engineering grade material, and I've printed a few parts that are in production out of that material. That's so cool. It's super cool. They, they're really they come out awesome. Like. Sometimes, you know, you've got issues with like layer delamination or it's like, oh, it kind of like cured something to the screen and now it's printing all wonky or whatever. But I, knock on wood, it has not failed to print yet. And the prints are strong. So that's, it's that's pretty cool so stuff. cool. Yeah. Is that the stuff that can't remember if it was frozen, but one of them had a co-developed polymer with like DuPont or something Loctite. or Loctite. Yeah, yep. that's what it was. So okay. that's what this is. So yeah, I've never bought any, but I've I've looked at it. I'm like, I don't have, I can't justify it quite yet, but I really want some. Yeah. And and you know, it's pricey. It's like 56 bucks a bottle, but it's totally worth it. It makes awesome parts. Okay. So Uh, we might have to pick some up then. Yeah. But I mean, you're also like, oh, this is a $56 bottle of goo. Like, hmm, do I really want to print that action figure out of this stuff or, you know. I was just talking to someone last night about this because he was asking for my bamboo if I had bought any like nylon stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I have a roll of it, but it's just sitting there going to waste because I bought it because I'm like, oh, this is so cool. And then it's like, well, I don't want to waste this, you know, $50 yeah. cool on some knickknack. Like I want it to be something cool that's exactly. worth it and that it just never gets used. Yeah. And then then it sits there and then it ages out and you're like, well, okay, I just wasted money anyways. Yeah. Yeah. So you're like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, whatever. Yeah. Next time I'll just print whatever comes up and there you go. Yeah. Well, that's amazing. So is is that the course of your machinery or you got anything else that's um neat? yeah, that's kind of the course of the machinery. Um yeah. And then, you know, We'll see. We're working on some other stuff that we might end up with a couple more pause VF6s and a Datron M8 cube. So we'll Ooh, see. Cool. Don't know if that will happen, but it'll it'll be great if it did. Let's step it back then. How did you become the Tom? Where? What is your experience? You <laughs> the know, Tom. <laughs> well, I like it. That's, well, that's a good one. Yeah. But how did you get to the point where you are now? Oh, man. You know, it's interesting. I've had a very interesting younger life. Uh, and it's it kind of starts back when I don't know I was a kid, and it's funny is I listen to the, these podcasts all the time, right? And everyone like, oh yeah, I was the guy that like took apart the remote and then like put it back together when I was like six years old or whatever, like or this or that. I was totally that guy, always taking stuff apart, always figuring out how it works. So it started way way obviously back then, but then I found I used to race BMX, then I then I rode a dirt bike for the first time. That was it. That was life changing. That was like my pivotal point. Right. So I started riding motorcycles and I was like, I want to go pro. And so I started really racing hard. And then through a series of, you know, minor injuries, like breaking a femur and stuff like that. It <laughs> kinda, minor. Yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, it kind of like changed my course a little bit. And that was about high school. It was actually my senior year of high school. I broke my femur and I didn't go back to school for a while. And thank goodness I had done enough work ahead of time 
because I was planning on graduating early. I hated school, absolutely despised it. And so uh, I was like, well, if I'm going to be in a wheelchair for a year, I was like, I'm going to figure out what to do. And my dad, you know, is the smartest guy that I know because he is a brilliant entrepreneur. So I won't get into his businesses, but he instilled in me at a very young age was you don't have to work for someone your whole life. You can do what you want to do. And so when I got injured and I was like, well, there goes pro motocross. I'm out of that. You know, I didn't really think that I was going to recover fully because I mean, it was a year. It was, it was, I was non weight bearing for six months. And then it took me a year to figure out how to walk straight again. Oh, that, yeah, that's yeah. Rough. So I'm like, well, if I'm going to be in a wheelchair or sitting around doing therapy three times a you know day, because, you know, the therapist was next door and we knew him and he's really great. It was actually Lance Armstrong's personal trainer. No way. Yeah, it was cool. <laughs> like I've met some amazing people and super athletes in my younger years. Wow. Like, how cool. People that you, you're like, oh, this is Lance. You're like, you're like Lance Lance. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> yeah. Lance. Like, oh, hey, buddy. You know, and like I got, you know, I got roped into doing circuit training with Scott Speed and Colin. What's his name? You know, Scott Speed, he had a small stint in Formula One. Right. Right. Yeah. And now he's racing, you know, rally cars and like doing amazing. And so I got it was really fun because where we were at living and it was I got exposed to a lot of really fun, cool stuff. That's awesome. But anyways, that I digress a little bit. But so anyways, my dad was like, hey, why don't you start a business? Like you love motorcycles. You love going to the parts house and hanging out with the guys there. Let's start. A, let's start a race, you know parts company old parts company turned into hey i'm gonna work on your bike and then guys would come in and be like oh man i I need to figure out how to get some more power out of this thing you know this guy he like totally beat me off the line like huh i can help you with that so you know i was helping guys do a little light motor building you know changing pistons and you know doing valve work and exhaust and, and minor things but i always was working with uh like oh man let me pull out my Dremel. I'm going to do a little port polish on this, you know, just on the side. Right. And I was doing stuff like that on my own personal stuff. And then, then things changed for sure. And we were like, we're going to start a professional supercross motocross race team. We're going to race the AMA motocross and supercross series. So I was like, all right, let's do this. I need to figure out how to build a really good motor. And so I met this guy. So there's a company called Crankworks and they, we had gone through and we'd gotten some sponsors and, and, you know, we got some riders and we started doing this professional racing career. And I was the chief mechanic working on all the bikes and whatnot. I'm 22, I think. Oh man. Right? Talk rolling. about living the dream for like a 22 year old. I know, living that dream. You know, we'd roll up to the track in a semi. It was, um, uh, it was a NASCAR. It was Jeff Gordon's old cup, his NASCAR truck trailer no way. yeah so my dad was like if we're doing this we're doing it right I'm like all right cool what does that mean he goes we're buying a hauler okay we're buying a hauler we're doing this so i mean we show up 2008 ama supercross with a full-fledged wrapped semi i did all the graphics for it and wrapped it myself uh yeah it was we did everything ourselves. we tried to and so that's kind of where this machining started out i linked up with crankworks and then we were getting custom crankshafts made rods pistons they'd balance the whole assembly and then uh phil the owner he goes hey 
you really got to go talk to my buddy. His name's Short Block Charlie. Like, Who is Short Block Charlie? He goes, just go to this address, knock on the door three times. You know, it was this really weird, like shady thing. Yeah. And sure enough, this guy comes out. He's got, he looks like ZZ Top. He's got white hair, this big old long, huge beard. And he goes, you must be Riley. I'm like, yeah, what's up, Charlie? How you doing? And he goes, come on in. And you go into this machine shop and it was amazing. He does, uh, he mainly focuses on Harley Davidson. That's not his love. His love is making horsepower. He doesn't care what it is. He's going to make horsepower. And so we sat down and we're like, okay, listen, we need to develop a motor package that's going to be able to win an AMA Supercross championship. Like that's, we didn't have like the goal of like, oh, we're we're just going to show up. And if we make the main event, cool. No, we were there to win. We had sponsors to answer to. We like, we were fighting for a Honda contract. So we... We knew that from the get-go, and so I was meeting with Charlie, and he goes, yeah, come on in. Let's check this out. He goes, I just got this new machine. It's a full, and I don't even know what it was or what it is now. I, I could probably call him and talk to him about it, but yeah, he like is the, like I don't know, let's just call it the brainchild of this French company that manufactures CNC valve seat and guide cutting machines, and it's oh, crazy cool. because- like you stick the guide rod in into your valve guide, you stick that in there and then you put your program in and it's usually, you know, you're going to cut like a seven angle seat or, you know, big motors, you're going to cut a three angle seat or whatever. You put your profile in there and it would, it goes in and it bores. And every time it comes out, it stops, adjusts the cutting head, comes back in and makes another cut. Yeah. Oh, so he just got started cool. on Instagram. So go definitely go follow short block Charlie. Because he does amazing stuff. And he's like, I don't know, about as old as Moses, probably. <laughs> I mean, he was old when I met him, right? And this was forever ago. So funny story is like one day I show up. I'm like, hey, where's Charlie? And he goes, what do you mean, where's Charlie? I'm, I'm standing in front of you. I go, what do you mean you stay? And I looked at him. He didn't have his beard. He got a chunk of it burned off in a machine. <laughs> and so he's like, ah, screw it. I'll cut it all off. So I was like, oh, Charlie doesn't have a beard. That's weird. <laughs> but yeah, so we, Charlie and I sat down and we developed this entire motor package, porting, polishing, custom brilliant or copper brilliant seats and guides. And here I am building motors and putting crank works, you know, crankshafts and rods and Crower piston, Crower cams and JE pistons and all. I was putting this package together. We show up to Glen Helen Raceway to do testing for the motocross series and Jeremy Albright is standing right next to me. now for anyone that's listening, that doesn't know who Jeremy is. Jeremy was James Stewart's mechanic. James Stewart is probably one of the greatest riders ever more natural talent than you could possibly imagine. And one of my riders, Scott champion goes flying past up the mountain, just on the throttle. And he kind of like looks at me and he looks back at his clipboard. He's, he's got a stopwatches on there and he clicks one. And I'm like, Oh, what are you doing over there, buddy? He goes, who are you? And what on earth was that? I go, I'm Riley. And that's my motor. He goes, you ever need a job? You call me. I'm like, what? Jeremy Albrecht wants to hire me. No way. Yeah. And so Jeremy was like, Hey, you just call me. That was the hottest motor I've heard in a long time. And so obviously I got my gig going on and I'm making these motors and we're doing pretty good. Um, 2008 season ended 2009 season. And I had the full works. You know, we were doing isotropic surface finishing on transmissions. 
we were doing blueprinting of the whole bottom. And I mean, it was the hottest thing since sliced bread. This was a factory motor without getting it from a factory. Um, wow. And I was building cool. the whole thing. And it was really, it was a really nice package. You know, they were dynoing at like 43 horsepower for a 250, which was <laughs> a lot. Um, That's insane. Yeah, it was a lot. And we were doing, we were taking carburetors in 2008, 2009, the Honda CRF. 250 had what we know as the bog it was it plagued the motorcycle industry was the bog so everyone tried to figure out how to get rid of the bog well we were talking to these guys and talking to those guys and kind of sharing some secrets and back and forth and i mean we were taking carburetors and before i even knew what machining was you know except through charlie i'm over on a bridgeport boring out carburetor bodies because we were taking like oh six carburetors from you know this bike and then that bike and please like frankensteining these things together and i'm over there punching out the bores on them to you know open up the bore a half a millimeter you know and it was we we developed a package that was bog free so wow. we go in 2009 season and we did really really well and then 2010 we got a lot of people that were like hey these guys are a force to reckon with like the results were not great. I mean, 12th to 15th place consistently every time, which I mean, we're talking about the motorcycle industry and professional guys that want to go racing. We're talking about hundreds of thousands of people that go ride every weekend, right? We're in the top 12 people. Oh, yeah. So we were doing pretty good. And it got a lot of recognition from, you know, the guys over at Honda and KTM. And so they were, they were like, okay, like, we think that you're ready for the next step. We're going to, we're going to sponsor you guys with a healthy investment. And we want you to be team Riley racing backed by factory, whoever. So it was, it was a pretty cool deal. Wow. That that's crazy. I mean, yeah. especially to like kind of just pick this up out of, no, I mean, you, you rode, but like, yeah. there are a lot of people who ride, like you said, that don't start pretty successful, you know, teams. Yeah. And, <laughs> It was a lot of luck, a lot of dumb luck, and a lot of, uh, you know, it, we did a lot. We did a lot of sacrifices. And, you know, I lived in a semi 50 weeks out of the year, you know. So it's, you know, by the age 23, I think, every every state been to. Like, because I literally, wow. we, were, we were driving, you know, race to race to race. And so it's like, okay, well, there's all 50 or 49 states or 48 states or whatever. But you're like, all right, cool. This is this is great. Kind of been everywhere already. And it was weird, man. Like I'd wake up in hotels and like, where am I? Like, and it was like almost like a movie. Like you'd pick up the phone and call the front desk. And like, where am I? And they're like, what? <laughs> like, what are you talking about? And they're like, you're in Millville, Minnesota. I'm like, oh, Millville. All right. Motocross racing to do. <laughs> so it was it was fun. But so then, you know, obviously the economy and all the things like that and we got a notice from Yamaha that they shut down their whole factory team. And that was like a huge blow to the industry. And we had a lot of really, really big sponsors, you know, sponsors that were putting in millions of dollars. And they were like, yeah, um, we can't do this anymore because we don't know what pro motorcycle racing is going to look like in the future. Like we're just shutting it down. And so we lost almost all of our sponsors. Oh my goodness. Yeah, it was a huge blow. But I mean, so the year prior 2009, we kind of gauged it off of how many teams or how many semis there were. 
there was like 60 or 70 semis in 2008, 2009, leading up to 2010. And 2010 season, 23. Oh, wow. Yeah, it, it shrunk majorly. I mean, factory Yamaha didn't just, they didn't show. Like they gave bikes to other people and said, hey, here's motors and here's suspension, here's bikes, but we don't have a team. Right. So that was huge. Um, yeah, it was. So we, at that point, we decided it's it's time to close this down. So we just closed the doors, sold everything we had. And I was like, okay, I'm unemployed. Right. Yeah. Sweet. What's next? Yeah. And so <laughs> I was like, well, I'm going to go be a businessman. I think that's a wise thing to do. It's a little more safe than, you know, racing motocross and breaking bones and all that stuff. And so I went to ASU to the uh, WP Carey School of Business. And I'm just sitting there going, this sucks. Like, I hate this. <laughs> this sucks. And so, you know, going from all the freedom in the world and traveling and, you know, it was amazing, you know, living this rock star life. And then you're like, well, I have to go sleep in the same bed every day. And why am I learning about macroeconomics with a thousand other people? Like this really sucks. And so I literally one day was like, I'm done. And I got up, took my textbook, dropped it on the ground, walked out. That was it. Never went back. <laughs> yeah. So my dad, he's like, okay, well, I knew this day was going to happen. He goes, respectfully, he goes, you're not a dumb person, but you're not a school person. Like, yeah, you're you're very right on that. You, you gave it a try, though. Yeah, I, I mean, mean, I gave the, it a valiant effort. Yeah. So <clears throat> dropped out of school. But I was like, all right, what now? And so I, <clears throat> excuse me, I remember sitting at the dinner table with my parents and <clears throat> they were like, OK, so you're not going to school anymore. What are you going to do? And I'm like, well, I don't know. I don't I'm really kind of tired of the motorcycle thing. I was like, I need to I need to figure out something to do. And so my dad, he was like, hey, you've toured every single heart, <clears throat> excuse me, every single Harley Davidson manufacturing facility. He goes, and you, I saw your eyes light up when you saw that. And I mean, it's crazy to see these factories because, I mean, they've got heat treat rooms. They're taking in forklifts, like by the hundreds of thousands of parts into heat treat. And I thought that was the coolest thing ever, like automated robotics and machines running themselves. And I was like, this is this is amazing didn't fully like grasp that machining was probably a right thing to do. And so he goes, why don't you, why don't we go look at some machining schools? Well, Phoenix, Arizona machining schools, they don't really exist. They, you know, gateway community is a thing they've, and, but you know, I was like really terrified. I was like, Oh, I don't want to go back to school. So, um, I, we found this school and it was a, it was called the Maricopa skill center. I didn't realize. So we got signed up. It was great. They have this little awesome machine shop. They had like a fleet of beautiful old, <clears throat> like sharp and N or sharp vertical mills and Cadillac manual lathes and like really nice old, old equipment. That's and cool. They had a, a Haas and like two mills and two lathes or, or one lathe. Um, and the program was based upon, you know, nothing. We're going to bring in, we're going to teach you a trade. We're going to kick you out the door. End of story. All right, cool. I can do that. And so I walk in there and the first time I smelled that gross, old, dingy machine shop smell, I was it. I was hooked. I'm like, <laughs> I love it, man. Let's do this. So I I dive deep, I deep dived into it hardcore. And they were like, yeah, this program, it's going to last like 
nine to 10 months. And I'm like, all right, cool. I was out of there in six. Cause I just, I mean, I dove into it hard and it was cool because they taught you everything the old way, right? Here's a piece of high speed steel. Let's show you how to make a cutting tool. Okay, cool. So you're over on a grinder and you're, you know, and that was like day one, man. Like we're like grinding cutting tools and all right, this is a manual lathe. Let's figure out how to cut apart. And I mean, we're holding parts that were like, you know, at the time I was like, oh my gosh, plus or minus five thou, you know, <laughs> I was like, this is impossible. You'd scrap apart a hundred times before you made it one time. Right. Oh yeah. You know, on a machine that was way older than I was with a piece of high speed steel. Right. Yep. So yeah. it was, that, it was interesting. That was exactly how Pima down here is oh, okay. like the first thing you did grind your your tools and you oh, learn you know awesome. how to put your chip breaker in and all that and like yeah. brad and i still use the high speed tools that we we ground then like i that's, love it yeah like we i mean we have insert tools for our lathe but like hey sometimes you just gotta throw that thing in there and oh, yeah. you, you know it's gonna work and yeah it, it's great you know it was like that and then it's like all right now you get to learn how to grind a drill okay now grind yeah. like 10 of them because yeah. you know you're gonna learn <laughs> it was cool so i mean that's how i learned and it was funny because you know, one day I'm sitting there at, you know, at lunch eating my food and, you know, it was in a sketchy place, right? It was, there was guards and metal detectors at the doors. Ooh. And I was like, there's something weird about this place. I don't get it. Well, I then found out I'm sitting at lunch with these other group of people. And this one guy, he's like, he, he always wore a white, like button up, like really nice dress shirt. And I was like, this guy's kind of interesting. Super clean cut. I was like, dude, you're going to ruin your shirts, man. Like, Look at all of us. We got like holes and oil all up. He goes, no, man, I'm good. I'll just be careful. And I'm like, all right, what's your story? And he goes, well, you know, don't worry about it. Well, a couple months later, yeah, he got his shirt dirty one day and he went to change his shirt. Dude's covered in tattoos, head to toe. Like it was at his, like all of his neckline and everything. I'm like, oh, those are interesting. Those, those are very colorful. Like, where'd you get all those? Prism. And they're like, oh man, what block were you on? And I'm like, I wasn't on a block, dude. Like, uh, I'm, a, oh. I'm a boy from, like, North Scottsdale. Like, <laughs> what do you mean, what block? I'm 85260. That's what block I'm on. <laughs> and they're like, oh, you went on this cell block at this? And I'm like, holy crap, I didn't realize. It was a, like, a re, I don't know what you call it. Um, Like, a way to, like, bring inmates back into society. Right, yeah, like, rehabilitation yeah, re or something. Yeah, and I'm like, yeah. I had no idea. And they're like, oh, well, we don't market it that way. I'm like. Who's your major client? Oh, the prison system. Uh, yeah. All right, cool. Uh, yeah, great. I'm, I'm going to, you know, make sure my truck's locked. Right. But yeah. It was really wow. interesting. Made some really great friends. But yeah, it was it was very, you learn the basics and it was hand code G, you know, hand coding G code, you know, doing all your cutting tools. And it was really the foundation to what I know today, you know, and it was going up to a machine and just looking at the control and being able to read G code is huge. You know, oh, I completely agree. I mean, I have said that so many times on this podcast. Mm -hmm. I know there's so many people that say, Oh, skip it and go straight to cam programming. But nope, I really think that knowing that stuff is so important. I mean, there's so many times we're all real quickly just scan the page before it cuts. And it's like, Oh, oh yeah. I see something I don't like. Okay, cool. Yeah. I'm gonna go change that. Oh yeah. And it's, it's absolutely the most important thing in my, in my personal opinion, because we've got guys that come into the shop like, Oh, I've been a machinist for this long, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, all right, cool. You know, let's just change a couple of codes down. Let's make it run a little faster. And they're like, can't do that. Well, why not? Well, because I don't know how to read code. 
okay, well, here's a textbook, start reading. Like we're doing programs the old school way. So yeah, learning that basics is huge. So I guess uh, I got out of that and I was like, all right, I'm going to go get a machining job. Now I know what machining is. And I applied for the first thing that I saw and it was a wire EDM shop. I was like, all right, sounds interesting. Really cool place. You know, floors are clean. They have these machines. I don't even really know what they do. Uh, and they sat me down like, all right, cool. You're hired. No like interview. They're like, you show up here every day. You're hired. All right, cool. What do I do? You're going to watch this thing run. All right. Well, what's the cycle time? Like, what are we looking to optimize things? And you know, how are we doing this? And like, no, it runs for 14 days. You're going <laughs> to sit in that chair. You're not going to move. You're not leaving the building, but you're going to sit there and you're going to watch these machines. There's three of us on shift 24, seven, 365. They never stopped. And they wow. were making these extremely expensive, very, very detailed parts that were for the use in, uh, machines for making led lights and they oh, were like interesting yeah they were like a quarter million a piece because I, I i one day like their shop truck broke down and i was the only other guy that had a pickup truck and they're like you're gonna take one of these actually it wasn't one it was four because they had their truck had issues and they're like we've been trying to fix it but it didn't fit riley you're taking four i'm like okay and they were in these custom like bulletproof crates the whole nine yards and they're like and the owner pulls me aside he goes, you were going to drive very, very carefully. I go, okay, cool. You know, it's fine. I drive this road every day. He goes, no, I don't think you understand. My insurance policy can't handle this. I go, <laughs> why? How much are these parts? He says, each one of those is a quarter million dollars. Oh, so just driving with a cool million dollars. No big cool, deal. Cool, man. I got an <laughs> F-150 with a million bucks in the back. So I, it was really nerve wracking. But I mean, that's the parts we made. And I hated it. It was the most boring thing I've ever done. And I'm not a sports person. I like racing motorcycles. That's really all I liked. And they only watched football. Sorry to all the football people out there, but I think it's boring. Right. And it was, it was crazy because they, that's all they watched 24 seven. And we, we traded shifts. So we worked, I think it was, it was five twelves. And then we would work either a Saturday, a Sunday, a 12. No, it was, Yeah. Saturday or Sunday or at 12. And then the next week they'd flip you. So then you'd work nights and you'd work five twelves and then you'd work a weekend. You'd alternate your weekend and then they'd flip you back. Whoa, dude, it was brutal. It was brutal. I think I lasted maybe four months. I'm shocked you lasted that long. That is it rough. sucked. So and they were like, we don't care. And they weren't really the nicest people ever, but whatever it it got me into machining. So, you know, but it was unique because you know, EDM runs in the millions, right? They are like, oh yeah, this is, you know, we're going to cut two millions off this. I'm like, how can you even measure that? Like, you don't even have a CMM. Like, oh, we got one. Like, okay, that thing that's not working. Yeah, we have one, but it doesn't work. Cool. All right. Oh. You know, it was, it was very, very unique shop. Um, but so then I got a phone call from my good old friend, Phil at Crankworks. And he goes, Riley, I hear you're a machinist now. Goes, yeah, Phil, I'm a, I'm a machinist. By the way, I'm building another bike. Can I get you to, you know, help me out with the crank? He goes, I got you one even better. I need you to show up tomorrow. I'm like, well, I work tomorrow. He goes, you're quitting your job today. You're showing up tomorrow. All right, what am I doing? He goes, you're my new guy. I go, all right, I'll see you tomorrow then. So without even like really knowing what I was doing, I quit. I walked in the guy's shop, the owner. He said, hey man, I'm done, peace out. He's like, okay, well, 
He lasted longer than anyone else thought. Like their <laughs> their turnover was insane. Guys were walking out in the middle of the day. They're like, I'm, I can't take it anymore. I'm out. Yeah, it sounds mind numbing. Oh, I it don't... sucked. Yeah. So, um, but I walk into Crank Quirks the next day and he goes, here's your mill. It was a sharp um, vertical mill. I don't remember the brand or the, the model, but it was just a, he goes, here you go. We make connecting rods. You're my new connecting rod guy. And you know, master cam. Cause I did some, you know, the, at least the programming classes at gateway. And he goes, you're my new connecting rod guy. Have fun. All right, cool. Let's start making connecting rods. And so literally like here I am my first programming job slash making connecting rods. And I'm now high speed machining, get all the parts done. They make the cranks, send them out. We go over the first race. Sure enough. Boom. First place. We're like, hmm, all right, cool. I got a good rider this year. Another first place. Another first place. That guy, Phil, is a genius when it comes to making power, right? Connecting rods and crankshafts. That's all we did. And this guy knows everything there is to know about a connecting rod. And I was the guy that made all of them. It was really fun. So that's amazing. So I, I have yet to see the writing on the wall on how you're going to get to where you are now. Because had I heard this story up to this point, I would have thought, this guy's going to be in motocross for the rest of his life. Yep. So, so where did that turn happen? Well, so the turn happened when I, I really hurt myself. I was out of track. I ended up uh, collapsing the last three discs in my spine. Oh, so, no. Yeah. Jeez. So I, I herniated the last three discs and it put me, I was, I was pretty bad. You know, they're like, well, we're going to fuse your back and we're going to do this. And so I was, that was it. I was like, I'm done. Like I have bills to pay. I, I can't do this anymore. And so I hung it up. Doctor was like, great. I wanted to have you hang it up years ago. He goes, <laughs> about time. He goes, I didn't quite literally mean for you to destroy your back. And I'm like, well, yeah, here we go. So 23 broken bones later and, you know, whatever. I hung it up and I haven't touched a bike since. Oh, geez. Yeah. So was that when you left Crankworks then? So I left shortly after that. I got poached by another shop called Rugo. It was just a job shop and they threw me in front of a machine that I've never even seen before. And it was the very first Hawes ST30 SSY. So it was a dual spindle, you know, machine before they branded it as the DS. Uh, and they're like, hey, you're going to run this. You're going to use a software called Partmaker. And yeah, have fun. And it was really, really one of the best learning experiences I've ever had. Because, I mean, you're cutting every material to whatever tolerance someone could come up with to it was just really it was unique and we had very diverse customers uh, you know it was brass and titanium and you know submarine parts and you know parts that weren't defense related but you know they somehow got that right. worked in there yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> uh, you know so but like crazy stuff like that and really got i found a love for turn mills and like i love turn mills they're a blast you know everyone's terrified of them i'm like man i don't care let's do anything we can on a on a turn mill you know dual spindle and i learned swiss there so we were running uh what was that thing it was a ganesh so ganesh is a very unique machine it's a swiss style machine so the emphasis emphasis on style like it's got gang tooling it's got you know some main you know sliding the whole it's this all it's a Swiss machine, but the diameter is larger. So it went up to like inch and a half, I believe it was. Oh, wow. Yeah, pretty but big. But it still run a 12-foot bar. 
So you got an inch and a half spooling up to 6,000 RPM, you know, shaking the whole shop to pieces. Right. But yeah, I mean, we ran those things 24-7. So I learned wow. Swiss machining. I learned milling. I learned, you know, fourth axis milling um, out of any material you could think of. It was it was really fun working there. But this guy came in one day and he shows up in this car and it's a rally fighter. I'm like, oh, no way. I've only seen pictures. I've heard about him. I've never seen him, though. And he's like, hey, this is a cool car. Why don't you come out here? And I was just the guy sitting at the desk, right? Like everyone was at lunch. And I made me man the front desk. I'm sitting there programming. And this guy, his name's Coach. He goes, hey, come here. I need you to design me a control or, you know, front end, right? So it was upper and lower control arm. He goes, I need you to design me a control arm to go on this car. I'm like, hmm, all right, cool. Well, we don't really do design. We're just a job shop. He goes, yeah, that's fine. Let's do this. I'm like, all right, cool. And so literally he's out there with a tape measure. He's like, I need it about mm, this long by this long, about this wide. Let's draw something up. And so someone draw, started drawing something up. And next thing you know, we're making control arms for the rally fighters. You know, it was shifters and this and that. And then, uh, you know, I had a blast doing that. And next thing I know, one of my really good friends that I went to high school with is one of their lead purchasing people. Um, and we sat down to dinner one night and he was like, hey, you're a machinist. We just bought a bunch of machines. Why don't you come work for us? I'm like, all right, cool. So here I am, local motors. And they literally just tagged me as the machinist because it was just <laughs> me. And they had a bunch of really old crappy machines that we ended up selling because they were junk. Like it was machines that had they had stopped making parts for years ago. Um, and so I said, well, these are junk. I can't do anything. Can't even fix them. Can't even find someone to fix them. Um, and so they... Uh, they got rid of them, and I got a Haas VF4SS and a ST25 or ST20 or something like that. And I was the machinist. And I said, all right, cool. Let's make some parts then. They're like, all right, cool. This is a rally fighter. Make anything you want. Okay, well, do you have models? Eh, kind of. We'll give you some models, but mostly just make whatever you want. <laughs> and it was like free game. And so it was literally I'd, I'd make something and then send it off for anodize or this or that. And they'd be like, ah, this is this is cool. What else do you want to make? I don't know. What else do you need? Oh, I know. Let's let's do this. And it was it was just this crazy, like willy nilly. We're making cool stuff. That's all we do. And so that's what I did. I made cool things and designed them and no engineering went into that, like parts that I was making. It was just <laughs> ah, it's cool. Just make it. Right. Uh, you know, so I was making all the models and making prints for my own use on the machines. And, you know, it was really a lot of fun. Well, then a guy came in the door. You've had him on your show, Bree Pettis. And Bree's in there and he goes, I want a rally fighter. If you're listening, what's up, Bree? And so he's like, I run this company and we make these 3D printers. Well, the next thing you know, we're like, oh, this is this is really cool. And here comes a slew of 3D printers. I mean, there was probably 50 of them. I don't I don't know, but they all show up. And now, now we've got 3D printed parts along there and this and that. And I remember we printed a, a cup holder because there was no cup holder in the Rally Fighter. And so the, how the motor package and transmission sat was really unique. So it was the motor was super far back. And so where your shifter was literally was like there was no linkage. You were just adjusting the yoke on the transmission. 
that's oh, really that's what nuts. He, he was so short and so <laughs> you know so the tunnel is right there and like you're resting your arm on the tunnel and they're like ah oh, we really need a cup holder so i'm like oh let's 3d print a cup holder so we 3d printed a cup holder and i machined a cool bezel and we put it in there and you know it was they were like hey you made a part let's you know let's get you in a car show you how to drive the thing and we'll let you do tour you know like like hot laps with customers all right cool let's do it i've i've gone fast i've done stupid things i've jumped vehicles let's do it and so i became like the kind of you know one of the guys that was allowed to do test drives oh my goodness yeah. and so it was nuts <laughs> like there was we'd always leave a car parked out front and we just have people come in and it it got to the point they were like if you're semi-serious we'll let you get a test drive but it wasn't like anyone that could just walk in the door and so you know if anyone you know was freed up that was on like the registered list or, or the approved list of drivers you hop on a car and take them on for test drive and i mean it was nuts i was they were always like ah riley like you got a machine running like just go get these guys a test drive i mean i i gotta give people that were really awesome like professional baseball players and like the prince of dubai and <laughs> yeah it was like crazy people they were coming in and just do whatever you want, man. Just let's build a cool car and give them test drives. And I mean, it's not every day that you have a jump in the back of your parking lot. And it was really cool because you'd come around the corner and you'd beep the horn three times. And that meant no one walk out the back doors. And then sure enough, the guy would launch, you know, I'd go flying past. You do 60 and you hit this jump. You know, you let off the throttle and you let the thing kind of carry over at about 50 over a jump in the parking lot, you know, then you spit it around in a donut, hammer the throttle and then chase after a section of whoops in the parking lot. Right. It was <laughs> like, it's like Blake Wilkie type of stuff. Right. Back before he even like was building cars probably. And you're getting paid for it. And I was getting paid for it. Yeah. <laughs> and then it was like, Oh, my car is in the shop. They're like, I'll just take a rally fighter home. So here I am like driving a, you know, race car everywhere. Oh my goodness. It was a lot of fun. I mean, Chicago, IMTS, driving a car, IMTS, you know, driving cars everywhere. And it was whatever. Just just go have fun. If you break it, whatever, we'll fix it. You know, it's testing. So right. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. And then, those were always so neat, too, because you could pay to go help assemble it, too, if I remember right. So if you purchase the vehicle to get around the homologation rules, you had to assemble 51 percent of the vehicle uh, so by assembling 51 percent, it's now considered a kit car so that's how they avoid i don't know like safety regulations and all of that stuff. right yeah so, only important things but yeah, still fine, very cool whatever. yeah <laughs> uh, you know and it was it was a lot of fun you know you got to meet guys that were you know i met this guy his name's jeff high he is kind of the, like the godfather of modern day jewelry and i was like what do you do because i mean he was building the biggest fastest nastiest car we've ever done it was 725 horsepower to the wheels it was terrifying that really is it yeah terrifying well jeff became a friend of mine and you know all this stuff and it was pretty cool um but he like designed five axis machines they're very much based upon dental style of five axis mills but they do it for jewelry now and so he's like yeah you come up with this and he he created the program and the whole nine yards it was it was really cool to, you know, get to know him quite a bit. 
And then we worked later with each other on some stuff. But yeah, it was it was a blast. And then things changed and the strati came about. And I was like, what on earth is a strati? Like, oh, we have this cool thing. We're 3D printing a car. What are you what are you talking about? You're 3D printing a car. Yeah, it's crazy. We like are working on this machine. We need you to help machine some stuff for it. I'm like, all right, well, cool. Let's do it. And so I was making some stuff. I had no idea what it was for, let alone I come to find out it's for Cincinnati BAM. This it was what it was. It was a laser body that they converted into a 3D printer. And at the time, it was printing like 200 pounds an hour. And we had no idea what we were doing, um, but they had the idea of 3D printing a car. So kind of my first like intro to large, large format printing was Hey, Riley, you're going to Chicago IMTS. We're 3D printing a car live in front of everyone. So this is 2016. We're 3D printing a car and then we're going to machine it. I'm like what freaking machine are you going to do with that? Oh, I got this like five axis router. It's made by Thermwood. I'm like, I've never even heard of one of those. Like, yeah, you're going to learn how to run it and you're going to do it live in front of, you know, 2 million people. <laughs> no pressure. No, not at all. I'm like, are you kidding me? And so here I am, Chicago IMTS, and I worked along with those guys. But yeah, we 3D printed a car, and I don't know if you went that year or not. I did, yeah. Uh, I, I was remember. there, 3D printing a freaking car, staying up till I didn't sleep for a week, you know, because we were working all around the clock. You know, I slept in the booth a couple of times. One Whoa. day, I was so tired. We were on the assembly stage of the or the assembly phase of the car. We were getting things all put together and they had got the seats kind of in it. And I was like, I am exhausted. I'm just going to sit in this thing. I passed out in it for like two hours while they're working on it. <laughs> it was it was a tr sharp learning curve and it was exhausting. And I, you know, it was helped change the phase of, you know, 3D printing. You know, it was nuts because were, I'm walking the show around a little bit the time that I did get. And they were like, yeah, can you believe these guys? They're building a car. <laughs> and you're like, yeah, that's, that's me. Like, I, you know, you're just listening to people, you know, in the crowd. I'm like they have a printer. It's the size of my garage. <laughs> it was, it was so fun. That so, is so funny. We printed the car, we assembled it, drove it out of there. So did that. And then, then it got like heavy into 3d printing. And I got into running that big thermwood a lot and originally the our cycle time was like i think it was like 28 or 30 hours and we were running it as much as we possibly could and then we yeah it, it was it was nuts but detroit and sema and all these events and we did all that so it was it was uh it was a lot of fun but decided it was time for a departure and so i went and ran another shop called trask yeah, it's just, you know, making motorcycle parts, 31 inch billet wheels and stuff like that. And, you know, that was fun and made a lot of parts. You know, so that's where I really streamlined the effectiveness of fixtures and fixture making. And, you know, OK, I'm going to make modular fixtures that we can just stick in a machine. It's like start. So we had a dial down to a science that, I mean, we made the same series of 50 parts every week. And it got to the point that I was making too many parts they couldn't even sell them fast enough oh wow yeah and it was like okay i need another 10 grand of material this week and he's like oh man like i just gave you 10 grand last week i go i know and i already made all your parts like they're all back from coding next week and so it was 
it was a really good thing and it pushed them into another stage. And so they're doing really well now. Uh, then at that point, I was like, okay, I need to get a big boy job. I had some things that are going on in my personal life and I started doing sales. And so I was doing cutting tool sales for um, Marshall Tool, which is now owned by Production Tool, which is like Berkshire Hathaway. Right. Yeah. So I saw that on your LinkedIn. I had no idea that you worked for Marshall. I, I've we don't use them a ton, but we have ordered stuff from them. Yeah, it was pretty they, funny. So I mean, that's I was doing cutting tool sales, and I it was a lot of fun. I liked doing that a lot because you go into shops and you see what they're doing, and we're young guys, like we kind of know what we're doing. We do it the fun, fast way, right? We're like, oh yeah, high speed machining or whatever. I was going into shops, and they're like, what's a carbide end mill? you're kidding me right and oh I mean, yeah like high speed steel what yeah uh, you're like you know it's like we're 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 long yeah. past that right we're like we're way we're, past that yeah right? and so yeah they're like oh what's what's programming i'm like oh my gosh so i mean there is a ton of shops out there that they either a don't have programming or b they are so in the dark ages that like they don't progress at all but yet they're making parts that are flying in helicopters and in missiles and you know so you i gotta see really really cool stuff and then you go into the fun shops and you meet the really cool people and the guys that are pushing that limit and so that's where i met a lot of like my really close friends now so you know mike jacobs is one of them so mike obviously you know he he ended up working for me at nikola a little bit later but yeah i mean he was over at Walters and I was helping him out with, you know, crazy projects, what they were working on. It was a lot of fun. So did that. And then this guy came to the door one day at the front counter at Marshall and he goes, I'm looking for a machinist. That was poorly translated by the front desk guy to I'm looking for a guy to help me tool up my machines. And I'm like, how did you get that translation out of that? <laughs> um, and this guy walks up and gives him my phone number. And next thing you know, I'm talking to a really good friend of mine now, and he's like, hey, I need a machinist, and you are the most recommended person I've ever met. And I go, I don't even know who you are. What do you do and what do you want? <laughs> I'm here to sell you tools. He goes, oh, no, you're not selling me tools. I'm buying you. I'm like, yeah, yeah, whatever. I'm, I'm doing, I want to do this. I'm doing sales. You know, this is more fun. He goes, right. I think you're mistaken. And I'm like, he goes, let me take you to lunch at least. So he takes me to lunch. We go down the street and he, then we drive to this construction site. He goes, oh, let me take you back to your car. He drives me to this construction site. I'm like, what are you doing here? He goes, this is our new office. I go, our new office? What do you mean our? He goes, I'm still ingraining you. You're working for us. You're, you come very highly recommended by a few very key people and you're working for us. And I'm like, yeah, whatever. I'm not doing this. I'll, I'll, I'll humor you. Next thing you know, I'm standing in a building that's being built and there is a 12 foot deep hole in this one foot thick concrete floor. And it's like this perfectly like rectangle hole and it's 12 feet deep. I'm like, you guys building a swoon pool? What do you guys do? They go, yeah, we build, we're building the future of trucks. We're building hydrogen electric semi trucks. I'm like, all right, cool, whatever. I sell cutting tools. I don't see a single machine. They're like, this is the foundation for your new machine. <laughs> uh, what? He goes, yeah, this ain't no pool. This is a foundation. This is your new machine. And I'm like, all right, you might have got my interest peaked a little bit. What are we talking here? <laughs> and 
And so they laid it all out and they're like, you are going to be in charge of the coolest shop ever. You know, it's the ultimate playground. And so took a little bit of persuasion, but here I am four years later and I love it. So that's so cool. Yeah, it's awesome. Goodness. So I've had a very interesting, fun, you know, series of machining careers. It sounds like it, man. That is so cool. And and it sounds like the front desk is the right place to be. Yeah, apparently. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So. That is awesome. Well, yeah. let's get into some questions from yeah. uh, listeners. We had one. How hard is it to cool that truck? I I'd imagine. assume he's talking about the fuel cell electric truck. So the fuel cell truck is um, it has its own challenges of cooling. And a lot of those are very, very cool. And a lot of them I can't even talk about, but it is very challenging but it's being handled so i would okay. love to talk more about that <laughs> but i can't unfortunately yeah, it's a secret sauce i got gotcha. you yeah it's that one's super really cool that's awesome uh, jacob wrote in he said he talked to you all the time he <laughs> says what's the maximum amount of questions he can ask about machining in a single day uh, well i think we're currently up to about 10 a day so <laughs> jacob got thrown into that that guy's got an interesting he got thrown into making some parts and I went in there to help him. Dylan is the most comical thing you've ever seen in your life. It is a 24 inch diameter nut. He is making nuts. Okay. Okay. And it's a, for some sort of a mining equipment or whatever. And he literally calls me and he goes, and I've known him since we, like we were little, little kids. And he calls me, he goes, yeah, so I'm a machinist now. I go, weren't you like, studying to become a doctor he goes yeah i kind of gave that up like i i got bored and he was i'm making nuts now i'm like all right cool you know whatever put it in a lathe and make a small little part he goes yeah it's it's 1600 pounds i, I don't know how to do that oh what yeah the, the thread is a 15 and a half inch acme thread yeah and I'm like, oh my gosh so we talk all the time and he's like well what do i do for this i'm like well jacob like let's let's figure it so i've had it like mentor jacob via whatsapp like and to on the phone on the way home and to work every day and we talk all the time just because he has got such a challenge and he's they're doing it on a haas and i'm like oh my goodness how are you doing a 1600 pound nut on a haas yeah it's crazy that's so insane he's, he's doing really well i'm really proud of him <laughs> he's like a little brother so well his other question was how about we talk about some hurdles for programming five axis versus three axis and how you overcome them. Okay. That's, that's a really good question. And he actually texted me. He's like, I'm going to put some stuff in there. It's, it's interesting because when you go from three axis to five axis, um, there's not a lot that changes, right? In my, in my viewpoint, it's just how you attack them changes, you know, and it's also based upon the kinematic of the machine, right? So, so that, that was actually what I was going to ask you about, because you have experience with this Thermwood and now the Zimmerman. Mm-hmm. How does attacking something with a head like that change your way? Because even when I go from like my S700s to my F600, where mm-hmm. then the head is now moving. Right. Now it doesn't bother me. But when I first got it, like there is that moment of like, ooh, things are not moving the way they, you know, yeah. it's like when you're in the car and the truck next to you is backing up and uh-huh. you think you're going forward and you're like, oh, oh yeah, okay. Right I'm okay. You're like, what's going on here? So yeah, that's a really fun one because like specifically the Thermwood and the Zimmerman, right? It's it's like shooting. So 
it's like shooting a mini gun, right? I've never actually done it, but my friend is the, I don't know, whatever. He works there and gets to shoot a mini gun, right? M134D, cool, whatever. I'm only, you know, shooting 6,000 rounds a minute. But he said the best gunners, door gunners, are actually people that have never fired a gun in their life. He goes, you point and spray. He goes, wherever it's, it's like a garden hose, right? Machining on a thing like that, it's kind of the same way, right? You don't think of it as, oh, well, the head is, you know, this. and No, whatever. You can stick a tool out this far, however far you need to. And you literally just point it at whatever you want to machine. And you say, machine that. Now, the thing that gets challenging is when you start to do cylindrical parts, right? So, or parts that you're doing five sides of machining, but now you have to have a retract plane for the head to unwind. So the Zimmerman, our specific Zimmerman, it does not have a continuous C head. It will only do 360 one way, 360 another way. So you have to unwind it. So you're physically unwinding the cabling in the column. And so that's where it actually becomes a challenge because you're like, okay, I'm going to machine this and then I'm going to go over here. I'm going to machine this. And I'm going to machine this. And like you're pointing at the you know five sides of the block, let's say, but somewhere in there, you have to have a retract and you're going to unwind the spindle. So that's where it becomes challenging because if you are like doing it on a thermwood and I was doing it with Mastercam and I was like, they didn't even have a post. I was just kind of making it up as I go. Ooh. I literally had start code and end code and I'd kind of put all the code in the middle. Most everything I did was just locked in through axis machining. It was just on weird A, B and C angles. Right. Um, so, but like with really nice software, like I got into Mike Jacobs helped me out and got, we have Hypermill and that handles all of those unwinds, right? So you can go from side one to side two, and then it knows that it needs to unwind to hit side three and side four, you know, or however you want to do it. So it will handle that for you. But when I was running the Thermwood and I'm piecing this stuff together by hand, like I'm literally taking chunks of million lines of code and like, all right, copy, paste. Hopefully this doesn't crash. All right, cool. And you're going to the next thing, right? You have to put all that unwinding in by yourself. So it's really, it's not difficult. The most difficult five axis that we currently have is the 125. So it's got that B axis head. So it compounds Y and C is your table. So it will rotate and then Y is going to travel towards the head. And then the head has B which is rotating on a 45 degree angle. Yeah, on a 45 degree angle. And it's also controlling. So B, X and Z. Oh, <laughs> that one is by far the most complicated machine to get my, you know, wrap your head around because you can't point and play anymore. You have to you have constraints because it won't rotate back the other way to, let's say, hit a opposite feature right so let's say you have a let's say a bowl and your your bowl is vertically like positioned on a on z-axis okay so the bowl shape is actually facing y make sense mm -hmm. okay so let's say you have that and you are trying to five axis machine this entire curvature well you can hit one side of it but you can't other without compounding the c-axis but even then, there becomes issues with constraints of motion and you can't actually hit the backside. So you end up building fixtures that are on like a 45 degree angle. Oh, weird. Yeah. Oh. So we, we've we haven't had to get into a lot of that, but 
it's very interesting how you have to do stuff like that. So what was the decision making process on getting that machine versus something else? A billionaire with a lot of money. Okay, fair enough. It literally was. I like that. I like that. I like that. I like that. Buy it. Oh, okay. So here's a check. I want them tomorrow. That's fair. Yeah, straightforward. Yeah, very, you know, <laughs> I wish I had those issues. Yeah, me too. So actually, you mentioned something earlier in the podcast that I want to talk about. Mm-hmm. You said that your customers are internal. Yes. So let's talk about managing internal customers, because I think that a lot of people listening mm-hmm. can empathize with that. Yeah. And I think that that is a struggle in and of itself, a very unique struggle. Like I can't go to my customers and say, dude, this is really stupid. Yeah. You need to redesign this. I also can't ignore some things that I know are stupid, right? which I know sometimes you can do with internal customers. Mm -hmm. So talk to me about how you deal with your engineering team and and what kind of collaboration you encourage and how you get around maybe dumb features that you see. Yeah. So that's a, it's, it's a challenge. So, you know, part of my job, it's, it's even more from the, the start, right? Originally it was, you're the machinist, you run everything, you do everything. Well, now I've got three guys underneath me and I've got a programmer. I've got two programmers and it's just kind of a, a body to help out. And it's morphed into, I do a bunch of machining and programming, but then also I get pulled away to go do engineering meetings. And it's insane because I'll go to these engineering meetings and you get these guys and they're incredibly smart people. And they're like, oh yeah, we're going to, we're going to put this internal square corner, you know, a hundred millimeters deep. You're like, and I'll raise my hand and be like, can't do that, guys. And they're like, well, what do you mean? I can draw it. I go, yep, nope. Cutting tools are round. They go roundy round. And it's not going to happen. So <laughs> I have to like tread lightly as much as I possibly can, but also come in with a big hammer. Because you get these engineers that come in and like, oh, I got this great idea. And I'm going to engineer it. And it's going to be the, you know, the utmost accuracy. But it's going to have these, you know, quarter millimeter radiuses on every feature and they'll send me a part and i'll just literally i'm gonna come sit at your desk and help you out for a minute and i'll literally go and sit at their desk like all these fillets delete them all i don't want any single one and we're gonna work on helping you understand how a part is actually made so it's crazy because we have thousands of people that work well i thought whatever however many i lose count i like like hey have you guys ever seen a machine before no i've never seen one all right, come on, let's go on a field trip. Let's go. You know, we're, we're going on a machine shop. And so I'll literally drag them to the machine shop and explain to them how a cutting tool works. And they're like, oh, that makes sense. And then they'll come back to me with, let's say, a six millimeter radius. I'm like, oh, come on, guys, like open it a little bit more. Right. Like, Can it be 6.1? Yeah, Can it be 6.5? Can I swing like, a radius? You know, yeah. at least some sort of arc. And they're like, well, but you said go with whole numbers. I'm like, no. Tools are on whole numbers. Don't let, <laughs> don't make me drive it into a corner. So I have to like part engineer, part machinist, part like I literally have to help these guys engineer their parts to be able to be manufactured. Yeah. So and it's it's fun because today someone came in and said, we have a challenge and we don't know how to overcome it. What do you think? And I'd be like, ah, Ooh, let's I do like this. That. Yeah. So it's a it's we're blending technologies. Right. So we're taking 3D printed parts and adding, you know, drill fixtures and cut fixtures and, you know, templates. And maybe it's got a 3D printed feature that is then mated to a machined component. So we do a lot of like 
molding of additive, subtractive, all at the same time to help us manufacture components. How cool. It's, it's pretty fun. So that sounds like a ton of fun. Yeah, it's it, it is a challenge. And, you know, even helping out Jacob, you know, he comes to me and says, dude, this is this is really dumb. I'm like, oh, I know the engineers <laughs> are not smart. Like, I love you guys, but we have to make a part able to be manufactured. Right. Yeah. It's there's things about parts you just have to be able to work with. And so I, I actually even when I was working at other shops, I'd push it upon the engineer, whoever it is. Now I understand aerospace's lock process and you know, blah, 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 blah. But like sometimes you still can go back to these customers and say, hey man, if you were to change that one little feature, you would take your part from a $50 part or a hundred dollar part, and I could cut 20 bucks off of it because I don't have to, you know, sit there and diddle away with this, you know, microscopic tool or whatever. So that's kind of what I always challenge and always question people as much as you can. Right. Yeah. Tread lightly, but yeah. but still do it. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Well, that brings us on to shop news and new things. Anything new in your world? New machinery, <sighs> software, printers, anything? I mean, I'm trying to work in, on a deal on getting that Daytron. That would be really cool. But yeah. we're, we've grown in the machine shop as of recently. And now I'm trying to figure out. I used to have it down to a science when I was running Trask and other shops like everyone always had something to do well our parts are really big we've got big machines they run for a long time well you can only push a broom for so long right so now it's like okay i'm trying to figure out how to keep things motivated and you know stuff kind of like that it's just you know managerial housekeeping is but like also like making you know processes simpler you know setups like toolkits like I want a drawer, you open that drawer, it's got everything in it. And I want little cards and I want, you know, like Kanban stuff. And I want like everything in there, you know, cause we've, we've gone through and we did the tool cabinet and that's awesome. You know, so it's all in a vending machine now, but yeah, just kind of, that's the stuff that I, it's, that's the only new stuff really. Okay. So, that's yeah. not a bad thing. No, it's not. <laughs> well, that brings me to what did you research this week? First of two questions I ask every guest. It doesn't mm-hmm. have to be machinery related. It's just what's been popping up in your browser. The hot topic. Dude, I'm so all over the place on everything. It's insane. Like I've got probably 400 tabs open on like web browsers, <laughs> on home computer, work computer, phone, the whole nine yards. So, I mean, it's kind of all over the place. It's, you know, learning how to, you know, I, I want to work on a business that is involved with machining. So I've been kind of researching a little bit of that and what market I want to get into and kind of what machines and stuff like that. And then, you know, kind of looking at like, oh, I need to build a backyard and, you know, just every I'm all over the place. So I I feel you. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I'm I'm very much the same. It's like everything interests me. So I am always researching. Yeah, it's insane. I'm all over the place. Well, the other question I ask every guest is, what are the things you are working on to be a better person, leader, employee, what have you? None of us are perfect. We're all working on stuff. What's yours? Yep, we are always working on something. Honestly, I'm just trying to uh, maximize my efficiency while at home and at work. So I'm trying to find like, how do I do it? Is it mental health? Is it, you know, physical health? Is it, you know, some training for managing? Is So I'm just trying to 
overall make myself more potent as, you know, the person that I am, right? So how do I do everything 110%? Yeah. Yeah. This is a struggle. Yeah. It's a struggle. Yeah. This is where I hold up a monster energy can and say, I'd like to thank my sponsor <laughs> monster energy. If you could please send me a thousand cases. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Give me all the caffeine. Yeah, please. exactly. Well, so. Riley, thank you so much for coming absolutely. on the show. It has been an absolute pleasure getting to hear your story. I had no idea you had the whole motocross background. Yep. I looked at your LinkedIn. And I was like, Oh, this is, seems like it'll be a cool episode. And yeah. you know, some of these companies I recognize and right. Had no idea. So thank you so much. Yeah. And you know, it's, I've had a very fun, you know, younger life and I'm only 36. So I've got a lot more to go. So keep in touch and, you know, we'll keep this riot rolling. Definitely. Thank you to the new Patreon members, Matthew and Cameron. Thank you to all who back the show. It helps me send people like Riley microphones. So you guys have good audio. And thank you all for listening. I will be back next week.